Welcome to the Develop Yourself Podcast, where we teach you everything you need to land your first job as a software developer by developing yourself, developing your skills, your habits, your network, and more. My name is Aaron Hayslip. I'm one of your hosts, and today we're talking about 10xing your career. Another way to put this is leverage. So how is it that some people are able to do more with less time? Or another way to put this is how is it that some people are able to make more money by working less hard, working less hours, having more freedom in their life, financial freedom, flexibility of their time, etc. And I'm going to give you a little bit of a formula or timeline for how I think you can have this experience in your career, specifically as someone who is starting off as a software developer. I've experienced this myself a little bit. This isn't meant to sound like I'm bragging that I have all this money, time, etc. I'm just as stressed as everyone else, um, I, I think. But I do want to go into some things that I think are interesting that few people seem to talk about, namely leverage. So that being said, let's get started. Over the last few years, a huge part of owning and running coding boot camps has been me being in social circles where I have friends who don't have great career prospects. Now, that might be a negative way to put it, but um, a lot of people I, I find come to me or talk to me about becoming a software engineer or even a lot of coding boot camps uh, or coding boot camp students rather come through a coding boot camp because they want better career prospects, right? They want to make more money, work less, um, have a job that has a little bit more. I don't want to say dignity, but uh, maybe it's, um, I, at least I felt this whenever I went through a coding bootcamp. And to be honest, whenever you become a software engineer, it does sort of solve all those problems. Suddenly you have a future, um, you have a, a, a position that you're proud of, you have a good salary, and you can expect reasonably so that the salary will increase, it will stay in demand, your work-life balance, depending on where you work, obviously in your position, all that can be pretty good compared to most careers. And there is a path there. That's what's so alluring about a coding bootcamp is someone gives you the prescription, they help you follow the plan and you get a job as a software engineer. Then obviously those are two different battles going through the bootcamp and then getting a job. Um, that is a, both of those are difficult battles to, to fight. But then once you get that first job and you start to excel in your craft, then it's, you know, you're home free more or less. And that's interesting to me but even this year, some of that has been squashed by, for the first time since I've been a professional, it seems like there have been a large amount of layoffs in tech, specifically even software engineers um, are, are being laid off quite a bit. And what I've seen, and not necessarily from people who have been laid off as software engineers, but what I've seen from a, you know, a peer group or some subset of friends of mine are different individuals who are rethinking their careers sort of mid-career. I'd say a lot of these people I'm talking to have are like me. They're men, kids, married, um, maybe early, mid-30s, um, and they're feeling this scarcity mindset because they can't find a job. And if, by the way, if any of my friends, these friends are listening, it's not you, right? Maybe you're part of the group, but there's a lot of people that I've met this year, especially over the last few years, that I've talked to who are in this position. And it had me thinking, what is it that makes these folks different from other people that I've talked to? I have, I have other friends, on the other hand, who have started their own businesses, who have sort of what I would say 
10x'd their careers. And, and I don't want to say that one of them is better than the other because I don't think that those who have 10x'd have um, become smarter or better or wiser. They might, uh, you know, honestly be more privileged positions. I'm not even going to assert that. But what's the difference between these these two individuals? And I do want to say I'm, I'm kind of outlining three different types of, not types of people, but three different um, mindsets that I think people get into when it comes to creating their career. And this is oversimplifying hardcore. But I want to talk about one of those three in particular today, which is what I call the, the 10Xer. But I want to describe three real quick. And again, I'm overgeneralizing because the population in the world is massive and people have a, a vast array of experiences um, and different um, things that lead the, their lives down the path that they are that they can't control, right? I mean, some people are just born into a wealthy family that pushes college, they make good grades, they go to school, they get a great job, they're, you know, they have family connections, that kind of thing. And that's obviously not everybody. And so I'm not, you know, take all that out of this equation for a minute if we can. Um, and I know someone's going to say that I have some kind of privilege by being able to, to do that. And, and that's okay. I think I agree. Um, but let me just talk about this. There's three different types of people that I see in terms of career trajectories and the, the first type I'll, I'll talk about as the underemployed. And, and maybe this underemployed person was at some point um, employed well, meaning as in they're making uh, average or above average income for their zip code. That's probably a good standard. Um, and then they get laid off and realize that, you know, maybe the income that they had was a fluke, right? Um, they just had the right time, right place, that kind of thing. And their skills aren't transferable or maybe their industry that they were in has declined. There's been some shift, right? So they're underemployed. Then I'm going to, to talk about the, the mid-level here. It, it, maybe we just call it, and by the way, I'm, I'm sort of making this up as I go, as if you cannot tell, but we'll just call them the, the, the employed or the well-employed. And that's people who you probably have a great job that's in demand, great benefits, and you've never thought about doing anything else other than some job like this, right? And if you get laid off, that would totally wreck your month or year for you. But, you know, you've got a transferable hard skill. And that's honestly where I'd say 99% of all software engineers are is, hey, if you get laid off, it could be a long battle. Likely you're getting severance, right? To help you fight some of that battle, you've got a, a skill set that is going to help you get to the next job. You're going to be good. Um, but then there are those who I would say are the 10xers right and those are people who kind of don't accept these two norms that either you don't have a good skill set and you got to get one and get a good job or you have a great job and you should be there for a long time and you should fill up that index fund and retire at age 60 the 10xer and i think even maybe calling it the 10xer is, is probably a not a good label um, because this isn't the path that everyone should take but it, it's somewhere in the in the the realm of entrepreneurship or, or thinking creatively about your life and your career. And I want to dig in on that a little bit because I think there's a pretty large chasm between the people that end up being in this position where they are underemployed and the 10Xers. And I think the, the chasm isn't necessarily, and if you were probably to isolate the situations, you could probably do that, but the situation isn't that the 10Xer is smarter, has gone to school more, um, you know, has a family with more money necessarily and the underemployed, you know, they're lazy, they're dumb. Those, those things aren't true. I think both can have the same uh, skill sets more or less. They could have the same 
education more or less. I think the difference here is that the 10 Xer has a different mindset. And I'm not even going to say that I'm a, I'm a 10 Xer. I, I, I hope to be on my way to that, but I think what I would say the 10 Xer is, and let me just make a different label for that and stop saying 10 Xer real quick. Let's instead say this person is the out of the boxer, right? That's a terrible phrase, but we've got the underemployed, the well-employed, and then the out of the boxer, which probably the out of box of the boxer is some kind of entrepreneur. And like a lot of entrepreneurs, there's different seasons where this entrepreneur might be very, very poor for a long time. <laughs> um, and then suddenly have a big break and then they're, they're quite wealthy. But I think of the out of the boxer as someone who can, if they need to get a skill, they can go acquire that skill, right? If they need to take a risk, they're willing to take that risk, knowing that the reward will be incredible. And then the loss the particular, you know, loss that risk won't be so insurmountable that that they cannot, you know, recoup whatever their their losses are, right? So the out of the boxer doesn't get pigeonholed into a situation where they're either looking for a job and they can't find one, um, or or nothing, right? They're they're not pigeonholed into that situation. And part of the reason that I thought about this uh, distinction is when I'm on LinkedIn right now. And I'm seeing a lot of people saying they got laid off. And I've even seen some people create, you know, um, a layoff journal or something where they're talking ad nauseum about how long ago they were laid off and how they're searching. And, 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 and you know, in some ways, I don't want to be negative, but they're, they're kind of begging for someone to hire them, which makes sense. Like, that's what we've been taught that you should do. But I don't know how many of these people are thinking about out-of-the-box scenarios for other ways in which they can make money. So I think the out-of-the-box thinker is someone who can also think through what are other ways to generate income outside of a 9-to-5 W-2 job. And I want to start off real quick by reading, and by the way, I'm going to get to this point of talking about leverage here in a minute, but I want to read a post I recently wrote that um, is to kind of describe my, my thought process here. Let me read it real quick. If I got laid off, I wouldn't post about it on LinkedIn. Instead, I start a business doing whatever I did before, but for more money. Here's what I mean. When you're job searching, it's a zero-sum game. Each time you interact with a company, you're making one massive ask. Commit to pay my entire salary plus benefits indefinitely. If you haven't noticed, few companies want to make that kind of deal right now. Instead, offer a different deal. Rebrand yourself as a consultant slash contractor. Offer companies the opportunity to work with you, doing the same work you did before, but on an hourly or project basis. Heck, incorporate an LLC for $150, set up a website, and make it official. Think this is hard work? Job searching is already hard work, but now your area of luck has expanded. Each job conversation has more potential to get you paid. For many companies, a $125 an hour contract is a much easier pill to swallow than a $150,000 salary. Sorry, $125,000 salary. I can't read my own writing, even though it's in text on a computer. Okay. Ironically, I bet it becomes 3x easier to find your next job too, because you'll have flipped the script as you're not unemployed, but self-employed. You'll be so much more confident during this season. And when you do land that full-time gig, you'll have more skills and a side gig if you want it. All right. So that was a post of mine on LinkedIn. Obviously that could be controversial because what I was saying, you know, in a nice way was, Hey, stop looking desperate and complaining that you don't have a job. Instead, 
you, you know, and, and also stop looking for some company to rescue you by just giving you a job. Instead, go make your own job, like get a job by selling your skills that were already valuable to the market. And I think, you know, that's, that's sort of a logical equation, but I think this is something that the, the 10Xer does. They think outside of the box to create their own income. All right. So I think that would be an example of someone who goes from well-employed back for a moment to underemployed and then goes to the out of the boxer, right? The out of box thinker there for a minute. Now I want to give you more examples of this out of the box thinker slash 10 xer but to be honest, you could just go to Twitter and find any of the Twitter accounts that have a lot of followers for folks that are self-employed. Um, I think one podcast that you'll hear uh, Peter and I talk about a lot that we kind of nerd out on, which has a pretty lame title, honestly, to the podcast. It's called My First Million. It's these two guys who basically talk about companies that they've started and sold, and now you know they are multimillionaires with tons of investments, etc. And to be honest with you, neither of them have. Uh, well, maybe um, maybe Sean does. One of the co-hosts has a pretty impressive background, went to Duke and all that. But the other guy, you know, grew up in the Midwest, um, was trying to make money by selling hot dogs, and then started a newsletter and the newsletter blew up, you know, and and there are a lot of principles you can derive from this. But the main thing here is he thought about this concept of leverage, which is it's not a zero sum game, right? And same with that post. It's not like you either have to get someone, he set a goal. He, He basically created a massive number, whatever it was, tens of millions of dollars that he wanted to get by the time he was 30. So from the time he was, you know, and I'm butchering the story, from the time he was 20 to 30, he worked single-mindedly to try and build a company. And he wanted to then sell this company for tens of millions of dollars. And he ended up did. He, he, I think he, you know, when he was 31, I think he sold um, his newsletter called The Hustle. And he did. He, whenever he was 31, he sold the, the company. Um, and now is in a position to where if he wanted to, he would never have to work again. And this, you know, I don't tell you that because I think you should work single-mindedly to make a lot of money. And I'm not even saying that making a lot of money is valuable in and of itself. Um, and in fact, you know, one quick caveat here about my view of money is money is neutral. It's a tool. It's not good or evil. It's the intentions of your heart. And I think one of the best ways, though, to use money is to use it for to save time, right? If, if you have a lot of money, one, you don't have money tr- troubles, right? You don't have to worry about money. But you can also, if you know, if you need to, pay someone to clean your house because you know it's, it's a viable use of your time to not have to spend it cleaning your house. Instead, spend it with your kids. I know that I've mentioned several times in this podcast where you know maybe there's some yard work that needed done, and I just spent the money to get the yard work done because I didn't want to spend my weekend working in the yard and not focusing on my kids. Now, obviously you could argue, well, why don't you have your kids help you in the yard? Yeah, totally. And we do those kinds of things too. But you know, that's just one example of when having some money will help you um, with having a less stressful life, which I think is important to carry out whatever mission you have. So all I have to say, this isn't a one size fits all kind of thing where you should trade in um, you know, your time for money and then later down the road, trade the money in for time. But what I'm trying to get at here is this concept of leverage. And I do think that there appears to me to be at some point for most people in their career, a point in which they have a mindset shift, a massive aha moment where they understand leverage. 
and that's what sets people apart from being the quote underemployed. And I think these folks seem to be, um, you know, depending on the market, some people are chronically underemployed, not because they don't have the resources, the family background, et cetera, and you don't need those or, or the smarts or the hard work or whatever it is. It's because they don't understand this concept of leverage. And I'm not saying that you have to dive down this rabbit hole that I've been down, which is, you know, reading books by uh, Naval Ravikant, which to be honest, I haven't read any of his books. I just uh, read his tweets. And so if you don't know who Naval Ravikant is, He's sort of uh, this uh, guru on Twitter. I don't ascribe to all of his philosophies, but he's got an amazing way to think about retirement. And he says, essentially, you're retired when you can stop exchanging or sacrificing your present time for future time, right? And, And basically, a lot of us go to work and work at jobs we don't want so that we can go home that evening and pay for the dinner that we put on the table or so that we can have the weekend with our family and go out to eat or so that we can go on the vacation or so that we can retire. And it's sort of this nasty cycle you get into of I'm working and doing things I don't want for these eight hours a day. So I can go home for these five hours in the you know evening, morning and do these other things and then stress about the thing that I'm about to have to do which is work. And that's no way to live. And, and the underemployed experience that, so do the well-employed. In fact, this concept, you've probably heard people talk about before of golden handcuffs, which is your lifestyle has risen so large because your income has risen. And now you can't leave the income because you'll no longer be able to sustain your lifestyle, which is an insane thing to do, to do a job you don't want to do and you maybe don't feel called to do doesn't align with your purpose in your life so that you can live a lifestyle that you've created that doesn't actually bring you any joy. So anyway, coming back to the reason why I want to talk about this is because there's a lot of people right now that are in this position where they feel underemployed. A lot of friends, peers, people in my life are experiencing this and you know, maybe I'll be there one day too. You know, I, I never want to say never, but I think it won't be because of leverage and it's not for my sake it's because at one point I don't know what it was I probably read a book met some friends and experienced what leverage really is and to kind of go back to trying to define it leverage comes down to one person exerting the same amount of energy as another one with the same amount of resources but getting you know something like 10 100 times the results. And what I mean by that is recently having conversations with a friend talking about work and um, and this person won't know who it is because every friend I have has this same conversation, which is they're stressed about their job, thinking about promotions. And, you know, one, one thing is, you know, if I get promoted, that'll be great. I'll finally make more money. That'll be better for my family, but then I'll have this, this much more responsibility so therefore, I should try to not get promoted so they don't have that responsibility, even though I'll make less money. That's okay. That, that aligns with my values more, right? And the reality is there is a way in which you could make more money. You can have both. You can make more money, which would be better for your family, without raising your lifestyle, right? That's, that's a caveat here. And I don't have to do more work necessarily, right? And I can do something that's more fulfilling. Like That's possible. And it's possible because of leverage. Um, you do something that's 
and more demand, right? You can charge more money for this. And we all can see this super clearly in the world. A software engineer makes quite a bit more money per hour than, you know, someone who does manual labor. Now, is software engineering more valuable than manual labor? I mean, as a human, absolutely not. I wouldn't say that, right? But to the market, 100%, right? And that's what Naval talks about too. Naval Ravikant talks about the, the, the secret to getting rich. And again, I'm not even um, necessarily um, arguing for getting rich. Um, but he says the secret to getting rich is that you make something that society really, really wants, but yet they don't know how to get. And you help them get it, right? And that can be a service. It can be a product or anything else. And he often talks also about how you just have to become the best at one thing, right? If you're the best at anything, you're the one that's going to attract all of the clients or the customers, or, you know, even if it's for a W2 job, you're going to get the highest paying best job. You're going to be the person for that position. Okay. Now the implications for our conversation, right? Someone who gets laid off and then starts their own consultancy. This is an example of leverage. This is a, a small example of leverage, but this is an example where you could use that same time. And, and that's, again, like, that's ultimately what leverage is. You're using the same resources, but in a different way to produce outside, outsized results, right? So two people both get laid off. One spends all of their time applying for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of jobs, and they get all these auto rejects. The other person spends that same amount of time, energy, and effort instead rebranding themselves as a consultant and now they are hunting for prospects they're marketing they're selling they're building a brand and a resume and they might you know land uh, that the, the, the second person might get a ten thousand dollar job ten thousand dollar job three thousand dollar job five hundred dollar job right whereas the person searching for the job they're going to get zero, 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 hundred thousand, maybe, right? Um, until the next time they get laid off. But that person who's doing the consultancy, they're going to have income. And then they probably still have the opportunity to land the job because they're having career conversations with these companies. They are literally asking themselves or asking these people, how can they add value to these businesses? So that ought to say, the, the task here for us to think through is what are the high leverage things that you can be doing with your career? And I want to bring it back finally to talking to our audience, which is people who are trying to switch into becoming software engineers. So what I want to walk through real quick is a timeline of a process that I can think that I think you can go through to from being um, the type of person who might be underemployed, um, you you know, maybe you're even an older individual, the, the job you used to work, you need more income because your family's growing. Um, maybe it's because the, the industry you're in is a dying industry. You can no longer make ends meet of there. How could you use this concept of leverage, being an outside-of-the-box thinker, and Combine that with this career trajectory of becoming a software engineer. What would that look like? Before I go into that, let me first say I've seen a few tweets that say something like this, which is you first start off trading your time and your money to acquire skills, right? So, and, you know, you try to 
get the skills required to become a software engineer. Then eventually you have marketable skills and then you trade your time for money, right? So your, your energy, um, the skills you have, you trade those for money. And then, ev- then eventually you accrue enough money that you can then exchange some of that money for more time, which allows you to kind of create this flywheel of, um, you know, more money equals more time, more time equals more money. And, and let me explain how that would look practically for someone who maybe you start um, a business as a software engineer. So first of all, you don't know anything about software at all, right? You, you know nothing. Um, early on, what you have to do then is go through a coding bootcamp or do a bajillion tutorials online. Either way, you're, tr- you're exchanging some combination of your own time and money or money, and you can decide which is more valuable to you, in order to acquire this skill. Okay, so you did that for however long. Now you have the skills as a software engineer. Now what you can do is you can go to a company um, as a W-2 employee or as a consultant, like we talked about, or anything else, and say, hey, I can do this job. Uh, Give me money. And they say, cool, we will pay you X number of dollars an hour. Let's say you get $50 an hour, which isn't great for a software engineer, but let's just say you do. Now let's say the, the task that you have is how can I put aside some of that $50 an hour um, and, and not spend it, right? So maybe you live off the $25 an hour and you save $25 an hour. Now with that extra $25 an hour, you go find another friend who is maybe less skilled than you, maybe even offshore um, individual and say, hey, I'll pay you $15 an hour to help me with these projects that I'm getting. And now you make $10 an hour off of them. Do that enough time, copy, paste, repeat, and you have a business to where, you know, maybe you can make $50 an hour as an individual, but if you have three employees, now you can make $80 an hour and you only have to do the work of $50 an hour. Now, obviously this is an oversimplified example, but that is what leverage is, is you have figured out how to use your skills to get money. And now you've exchanged your money for some more time other people's time perhaps, so that you can then get more money and eventually you create this flywheel effect. Now, another thing to point out here about this person who again is a out-of-the-box thinker, 10Xer, is there's two ingredients you need to have in order for this process to go well. One is risk tolerance. I mentioned that early on, but you need to be able to take outsize risk for outsized rewards. Now, I'll give you an example from my personal life of risk-taking. It was honestly a year after I graduated from the coding boot camp. Some of you might know the story. I got my first job, obviously, almost immediately after. I made $65,000 a year, which for me at the time was just incredible. And I quit to start a coding boot camp. Um, In fact, I didn't even start it necessarily myself. I was contracted by this company overseas to start a boot camp in the Middle East. Long, crazy story, but it was an incredible amount of risk. I mean, kind of, and that's where I want to get at here. I risked, I had a, a newborn baby, um, a wife who was leaving work, and I was the sole income earner. And I left that job to go do this other thing. Now, worst case scenario, it all blew up and I had to go get another job as a software engineer. The the economy was fine at the time. And honestly, all I had was a $65,000 job to make up. 
Could I find another $65,000 job? Absolutely. But what was the reward if this went well? Well, the reward was cultivating an entire new skill set. I put myself in a position where I had to learn how to become not just an entrepreneur, but a leader. I mean, I literally built a boot camp. The curriculum led it, hired people, did admissions, did marketing, did sales. And I'm not saying it to toot my own horn, but to say that like, I just put myself in a position to where I had to learn those things. Like that was leverage for me. And if it didn't work out, you know, I could always go back and get another job somewhere else. And eventually, honestly, this, this happened for me, right? In the end of 2020, the boot camp that I was running, Project Shift, in downtown Durham wasn't working out. I mean, we made either lost money every year um, or broke even, but it wasn't working as a business. People were getting jobs and it was going well, but I was burnt out. So I had to flip that switch of, okay, what do I do next? And ended up, I had enough leverage in terms of um, cash flow, et cetera, expenses were low to start another business, which is Parsity, the online code school. And that worked out. So again, there is some risk tolerance there is even in that situation, I could have gone and got another job, but I had the tolerance of risk and I had the ability to to quit that and, and go find um, this path to starting another code school. So you have to be able to tolerate risk for this process. One other thing I want to mention here, the last piece is the compounding effect of this, which is whenever you reap the rewards of whatever you know goal you've achieved in this previous cycle, try and reinvest those rewards back into the process, right? That's the compounding result here. And let me give you an example of that. From my life, if I were to have graduated the boot camp and taken the first job I had, which I did, um, made $65,000 a year, and then just did that for the next five years, right? I could have easily gotten up to over $100,000. Um, and that's great. But what I did is I took some of the rewards I'd had from my previous life, right? I did work in different nonprofits, ministries, etc. cetera. I, I knew I could do more than just write code. I could had some um, capabilities in leadership, communication, etc., and decided to then reinvest in starting a boot camp. Um, whenever my in-person boot camp in Durham failed, I could have washed it all out and gone and gotten a nice steady job um, as a software engineer at some big company. But instead what I did is I took all the lessons learned of starting boot camps over the last few years and I reinvested those learnings not into suddenly you know, trying to get a big income, but into rebuilding online. And that's part of the compounding effect, right? Someone who is an out-of-the-box thinker won't just follow the path, the career path provided for them. They will instead think outside of the box and try and see how can I take advantage of the lessons learned previously for me to actually change this narrative. And that's where I want to end for you. As you're thinking about stepping into this career as a software engineer, no one knows what this career will look like in 10 years from now. No one really predicted that it would jump to levels that it was at in 2020, 2021, and then crash the way it's crashed recently. But I can tell you that it's not going to look the same as it looks now. But I think of this mindset, with this mindset of, of leverage and being someone who thinks outside the box, you can compoundingly, if that's a word, 
reinvest in yourself, take risks that are not going to leave you completely flat on your butt if they they fail. And it can put you into a position to where I think you'll never have to worry about whether or not you're going to be underemployed ever again. And with that, I want to really free you up to do some vision casting, some goal setting as you're stepping into this career, which looks bleak maybe at the moment because of all the layoffs this year. And let me tell you, it's, it's not bleak, right? Uh, people are still hiring like crazy. But as you look into this career, what are some of the goals you have? Like, How does this fit into what you want your life to look like? And then how might leverage help you or having this mindset shift of taking advantage of leverage? How might it help you craft a different kind of career rather than one where you just go be a senior engineer for the next 15 years, which is fine. But I think there's, there's things that you can do to add more value to people's lives that will, in the end, secure for you a more fruitful career than if you just sat on the sidelines and followed the path. All right, my voice is sore. I'm hoarse. Allergies, I don't know. What's, what's the deal here, Austin, Texas? Why do you have allergies in August? There should be nothing that's producing allergies, right? I mean, it's 103 degrees outside. Everything's dead. There should be no allergies. But that does it for today's episode of the Develop Yourself Podcast. Um, thanks so much for taking your time to listen. If you want to learn how to code, check out dev30, dev30.xyz. This is our evolving, revolving. Is that what you say? I think they're both evolving and revolving. I think it is, it is both. Our 30-day crash course in learning JavaScript, getting your mindset right, your habits right, it really is the core of this concept of developing yourself. It's about personal development around this season where you're learning how to become a software engineer. And then whenever you're ready to step into the big leagues, check out our online code school, Parsity. It's P-A-R-S-I-T-Y dot I-O. And that's it. Happy uh, Monday or Tuesday, whenever this is coming out. 